never judge a brother until until you occupy his space. Never judge another unless you are standing in his place. Never judge another brother until you occupy his space unless you're standing in his This week's class was dedicated by Jen Schuler, and this is in loving memory of her grandmother's third yard site, um, today, which was yesterday, the 27th of Cheshvan, at Tariva Bas Pesach, Allah Hashalem, may her Nisham have a really great aliyah to the greatest of heights, and may she channel lots and lots of brachas to you, to your family, for much mazel, and good health, and everything else that you need. And blessings both in the material and in the spiritual. Thank you very much. Another dedication was by our dear friend Rachelea Admon, and this was in honor of her mother's yard site, which is today, the 28th of Cheshvan. Beverly Bas Rose, Allah Shalom. May your Neshama have the highest, highest, greatest Aliyah. May she channel lots and lots of blessings to you, to your family, for everything that you need and want, to the grandchildren. Much bracha mazel, and only, 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 only good things. Thank you so much. Last but not least, the shir was also dedicated by Shimon and Shandel Lianz in honor of their son Zevi's bar mitzvah. That's a huge, big simcha. So the Zevi's bar mitzvah is going to be the Shabbos. And uh, continuing on to Sunday, may Hashem bless him to grow, continue to grow. May you have lots of nachas from Zevi, and from all your children, much bracha, much mazel, and only, only good, and a lot, a lot of harchava and everything that you need and want. Thank you so much uh, for these dedications. Okay, we're about to begin this week. It's Parsha's Torah days. And in the Parsha, the Torah tells us, um, on the words when Esav comes, Vayava Esav ben Asada, that Esav came from the field, Vahu Oyef, and that Esav was exhausted or he was tired, the Medrish makes, takes this little, little statement and makes a big, huge deal about it. And it says, not just that he was tired, he was exhausted, but we have to see so much more in it. The Medrish says that Esav committed five major sins on that day. What was Esav's sins? Number one was he had relationships with a married girl. The Medrish says, Naira Hamorasa, a girl who is to be married, or more accurately, a, 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 a girl that was betrothed to someone. He actually raped her. Okay? So Esau raped a girl. Who? This is a girl who is, um, um, again, she's, she's, she's betrothed. See, today's days when we do a shidduch, there is no um, legal consequence really to it to say that the woman's status changes that she's in a married woman. She remains a single woman until she gets actually her wedding day when she goes under the chuppah, she receives the ring, and we do the shavah, we do the chuppah, and the shavah brach is under the chuppah, and that's marriage. Um, in, back then, uh, years ago, in the Talmudic times, and all before that, um, when, when, one, when one got engaged, it was usually followed up pretty close by with 
a, a betrothal ceremony and where the chassan, the groom, would give the kala a ring and thereby make her his wife. And legally, she is a completely married woman. Now, the husband and wife still cannot live together until they would have a second party at a later period of time where they would complete the marriage by setting up a chuppah and doing the seven blessings under the chuppah and then they would go home and live happily ever after as a married couple. Two stages in marriage. Today's days, we do them all as one. Now, once a woman receives the ring, not the engagement ring what people give today, but we're talking about the, the marriage ring, and the husband says to her, you are hereby betrothed to me, legally, halachically, they are a full-fledged married couple, and if someone has relationship with this girl, it's, com- it's considered full-fledged adultery, and for that, it's punishable by death. So the Medrash says that Esav had committed that sin because there was a woman who was betrothed, a girl. She's Morasa, I mean, she's not an Asua, which means she didn't complete her marriage. And Esav um, had committed adultery with this woman. That was the first sin. Secondly, he killed someone, even though he killed a bad guy, but he still murdered someone, and that was Nimrod. Okay, so they had some kind of a uh, competition, the two of them, and Esav overpowered him and murdered him. Third one was that he rejected the notion of that we will come back and live again, he denied the resurrection of the dead. As Esau says, I am going to die, which over here death means I'm going to eternally, eternally die. So why do I need the firstborn? Um, and the next one was he, 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 he proclaimed an atheistic belief, doesn't even believe in God, because as it says, Lama Zeh, Li, why is this to me? When you say this, referring to Hashem. As it says, Zekeli van Veyu, this is my God and I will beautify him. Zekeli, this is my Hashem. Zez Hashem. So Esav renounces God. And finally, he cheapened and made fun of the Bechorah, which is the priestlyhood. Bechorah, that meant, that time meant that you got to serve as a priest, as a Kohen. And he rejected that, made fun of it. These were the five sins that Esav did on that day. So the, this is what the Gemara, this is what, um, this is what is stated in Medrash, and it's also stated in the Talmud somewhere. Tosvas in the Sanhedrin, Dafnun Zayin Amad Beis, asks a question, and a, a serious question on this. What's, what, what's the question? Um, the Gemara says that the whole concept of a girl being betrothed and being considered married is only a Jewish concept that began by the giving of the Torah. Meaning that Marriage is not only a Jewish idea, it's not only a Jewish concept, marriage is universal. And we also know that one of the seven Noahide laws is that there should be um, the sanctity of marriage and that people should respect each other's marriages and there is not allowed to be, any person is not allowed to commit adultery. However, there is a different criteria when it comes to a married woman by a, by a, uh, by a Benoach, by someone who's not Jewish, and by a Jewish couple. By a Jewish couple, you're considered married as soon as you get the ring, that's considered married, and then the woman's status changes from being single to being a full-fledged married woman. Anybody that cohabits with this woman is um, considered having committed adultery. Not so with a Ben Noach, with someone who's a Gentile, which by a Gentile, the law is as follows. That we see it, we learn it out from uh, two weeks ago in the parsha. Hashem rebukes Avimelech for taking Sarah. And he says to her, why are you with taking this woman? Vuhu ba'ulas ba'al. 
she has already been intimate, she's already been with her husband. So from those words we learn out, now what happens if she wasn't intimate with her husband, if she was just married and the husband never had intimate relations with her? She's still married. So we learn out, now, for a non-Jew, just having a wedding night, if they do not consummate their marriage in, 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 in being with each other intimately, then they're not considered married. It has to be, so the, and only in that state is, are, are they considered completely married, and so that when someone would, uh, but this woman would have an affair with someone, then they would be liable for being put to death for that, for that commitment of adultery. So therefore, Tosus asked the question, if that's the case, Esav, um, when, when it says Esav um, had relations with a married woman, and, and, the, and, and, the, and the Medrash says, the Gemara says, Naira Urasa, since it says Mu'urasa, which Mu'urasa means only engaged, if she's only engaged, how is it possible? If she's only engaged, meaning or she's betrothed, but she's not really fully married, why, why is Esav guilty for adultery? And there's no adultery. She's, this, is, this, is, this is still pre the giving of the Torah. So what does the Gemara mean when the Gemara says, or the Medrash says, that Esav committed the five sins which he should be punished by death for, for them? So Tosfus answers, an interesting answer. Tosfus says, again, Tosfus is the great commentary on the Talmud. Tosfus answers, Esav is not liable by law for adultery. It only means when it says that he did this sin, it's, the words of Tosfus, it's a davar mechuar, it's ugly. It's, it's just a really disgusting thing that he did. Now it's legally, you're right, she's not considered yet married. But since she's already on her way to be married, the fact that he did it shows on a complete disregard for the sanctity of marriage. So technically, we couldn't nail him on it, we couldn't punish him that because, again, he can argue that she's not fully married by the laws of the Gentile. But still, it's a davar machor. That's what Tosfos says. The Tzemach Tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe, in a mimer and a discourse of this week, um, brings the Tosfos and says that he's not, he's not satisfied with Tosfos' answer because there must be something more to here. Just to say that it's a davar machor, it's just not, it's not nice, there has to be something deeper. Therefore, the Tzemach Tzedek offers an explanation of his own, but it's very mystical and uh, dealing in a, in a more spiritual plane. He explains the sin of, of Esav, uh, not necessarily, in, a, in general we have to know that whenever the Talmud discusses midrashic elements, which oh, many of them are to be explained metaphorically, not necessarily in, in pshat, in the literal sense. When the Talmud is talking about halacha, which means practical observance, then it is forbidden to say that the Talmud is speaking in the spiritual. Then you can take all of Judaism and do away with it, say it's all spiritual concepts. There it means very, very, very much in the concrete. But whenever the Talmud is discussing more, more stories and the like, not everything needs to be understood in its physical interpretation. So, therefore, what is the meaning when we say that Esau had relations with this, with this married woman? It means that Esau caused something extremely, extremely cosmically devastating. And what was it that Esau, he reignited or re-stimulated the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. What happened in, in Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden with Adam and Chava? So the Talmud tells us in Masech the Shabbos, Tafkuf Memvav, the Talmud says, Ban Chava. In addition to Chava, Eve, being seduced by the snake to eating from the tree of knowledge, the snake actually 
this is the statement of the sages, that the, the snake had relations with Chava. Now again, this doesn't have to be understood physically. This has a deep mystical meaning. The Kabbalists and Hasidism and in Kabbalah, this is discussed greatly. That this is some kind of a spiritual aspect in which Chava's neshama, Chava's soul, was contaminated. That's the idea that he had relations with her. It means he polluted her. He contaminated her with his contamination, with his venom, with his darkness, with his evil. And the fact that there is Yitzhahara, and this created the Talmud says the hitl by Zahama. He created, he put into Eve's heart, Chava's heart. She's the mother of all humanity. A certain evil, certain wickedness, Yitzhahara, inclination, a filth that got passed on to her husband, to Adam as well. Together when they then parented their children, or had children, um, they, their children were already born with evil inclination, and so on and so forth, which is really some remnants of the snake. So this is, this is, this is the, the idea. Now, um, generally the concept of Banachash al-Chava, also, so, but, but, but when we're speaking about Chava, we have to realize that Chava means more than an individual person, Eve. Chava represents something of much, much, much greater significance. Chava is the first mother of humanity. So her neshama, she's the embodiment of what we call the Shekhinah. Adam and Chava, the first man and the, and the first woman, represent a divine couple as well. From, from those uh, in the earlier classes, all the time we're always talking about this concept that Hashem manifests Himself. God Himself has no definitions and no, no descriptions and you can't, God forbid, ascribe to Hashem any, any kind of limiting defi- definitive uh, the things that, 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 that limit and describe and so on and so forth. But yet, in Hashem's relationship with the world and Hashem's projection towards, towards creation, He does assume certain personalities. And you see it in the Torah, which speaks about Hashem in various different forms. And um, also in Kabbalah, this is full of the idea that there is spherot, there are attributes, and those attributes have certain personality that make them attributes which relate, for instance, even with the fact that we refer to God as a king, we refer to God as a judge, we refer to Hashem as a father, we refer to Hashem as a mother sometimes, we refer to Hashem as all these various different metaphors that it is given by the prophets and the Torah and by the sages and the like. These are all, of course, not applicable to the essence of God, but they are applicable to the, to the emanation of the way Hashem emanates towards the creation. And they're true. They're true meaning that they're true descriptions. Now, what we always have to appreciate, especially before we start a class like this, is to understand that our understanding of these things is very, very, very minimal. And we shouldn't, God forbid, we shouldn't, God forbid, um, 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 misinterpret it and and coarsen it. Even after we understand it, we have to appreciate that whatever we said is to be undressed, meaning is to be removed from the physical appreciation that we have and understood on a very, very, very abstract and abstract of abstract and way abstraction and we realize that our minds are not abstract enough to really be able to appreciate this truly as it is but yet it gives us an idea of something like this that we can appreciate. So Adam and Chava represent Adam represents the masculine side of God and Chava represents the feminine side of God. Sometimes referred to as HaKadosh Baruch Hu and Shekhinah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the masculine side of Hashem. Shekhinah is the feminine side of Hashem. Shekhinah is the is the side of God that is more 
connected to the creation. The Shechina means Shochein. It's a, the word of Hashem being Shochein betachtonim. Hashem dwells within the world, which means the creative power of God that is directly interacting with the world, that's Shechina. Shechina is, is also sometimes associated with the power of speech. The speech, how does Hashem direct and influence and create and sustain and all, all, all input from God into the creation, which is what is everything, is all coming from divine speech. Hashem created the world with speech and He continuously sustains the world with speech and He is constantly directing and everything that's happening is coming from the words of Hashem, of how Hashem is speaking. So it's all from the Shechina, which is Malchus Peh, which is the idea of Malchus, which is the Shechina, which is the feminine side of God. That's the element of the indwelling of Hashem within the world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu represents God's manifesting Himself on a more transcendental state, a more infinite state, beyond the creation, above the world, and so on. When we say Chava, that Chava had relations with the snake, what that means is, again, as much as we have to realize that we don't understand the concept, but what it means is that the snake to rape the Shekhinah. Well, now, what does that mean? That's a very frightening thing to say. But let's get a little bit of an understanding of what that means. You'll see and appreciate after today's class that this, you know, that in its source, what, what this really means is something very, very, very edel, something very refined. But it's something that actually is applicable to each and every one of us at the time that we're in right now to, to appreciate and to... Uh, uh, I'm not giving this class because I just want to share with you a Kabbalistic idea, but because this is a very, very important and crucial lesson to us very, very much in our times. So let's, let's analyze this idea. Now, when we say that Chava, when we say that uh, Esav had relations with, a, with this girl, who is the girl that we're talking about, that girl is the Shekhinah. And when he... And when it says that, that he had relations with this Naira Hamurasa, it means he re-evoked spiritually this idea that the snake, that the snake had, had, had some kind of a contaminating effect on, on the Shekhinah on, on Chava. Tzadikim, of course, bring tremendous blessing down to the world from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the Shekhinah. Enhance the Shekhinah and bring beauty and light and godly thing and, 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 and godliness and, and all the blessings. And the wicked draw down the negative and darkness into the Shekhinah, which obviously results in Golos HaShekhinah. So let's just, for on, on, on a simple level, on the simplest of levels, um, to, to, uh, on the simplest of levels, the, 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 the general idea of Banach HaShal Chava, that the snake had relations with, with Chava, is interpreted by the Kabbalists as the idea of what we generally know as Yenika Sachitzainim. Yenika Sachitzainim means that the negative forces are able to siphon and derive energy from the source of holiness. We realize that God is the only power. The, let's just use it in simple words. God is, let's say, the electricity of all of creation and all of existence. And without that electricity, without that energy, without that power flowing into the universe, everything is dead or everything ceases to exist. Hashem is continuously being machaya and mahava oilamais. He's continuously enlivening and bringing into existence all the worlds, as we said before, the power of the Shechina that's doing that. Now, there are negative forces that God has created, which are represented by the snake. The snake is the chief, he's the source of all negativity, of all unholiness. So when we say that the snake had relations with Chava, on the most simplest of levels, it means that the snake gets, to, gets into Chava's soul and is able to, into the Shekhinah, and is able to steal from her, uh, her energy to use 
for corruption. The fact that there is evil in the world, the fact that there are bad guys in the world, uh, terrorists, for example, that have power, sometimes they have funding, they have money, and, or other kinds of dark things in the world. When the energy comes from, it's all coming from God. But it's, well, why would a God give life to these things? So we say that it's, to a certain degree, the, the Shekhinah is an exile, and the forces of, of, of evil, the hyenas, the, the, the jackals, the, the, they steal that energy. They attack the Shekhinah and steal that energy. And that kind of stealing, obviously even that is not you know, beyond God's control, Hashem is control of everything, but still there is that concept that Hashem kind of is forced to go along and sustaining uh, these, this garbage and to give it power, this, this, this darkness. And that's the concept of Golos HaShchin, and it's all related to the fact that the snake has relations with Chava, which means he's able to siphon. The problem with that is that it doesn't really explain Ban Nochash Chava. Ban Nochash Chava implies that the snake is giving energy to Chava. Because in, in a male-female intimacy, it's the male, the woman is receiving, and the male is the one that's transmitting. So in this case, it means that the snake's venom, its impurity, the Gemara actually says, Hitl bazahama, he put, he put a schmutz, he put an impurity into her. So we have to say that it doesn't, can't only mean this concept of Yenika Sachitzonim, that the Chitzonim are able to take energy from the Shechina to use it for their corrupted ways, but that there is some kind of a darkness that is put into the Shechina, and which, which causes, God forbid, um, some kind of a, it has devastating effects. So last week, Thursday night, if you want to listen, I gave a shear. It was a long shear, three hours and 50 minutes about. It's, the, it's our Thursday night class of last week's parsha, which I came across a fascinating discourse from the Pshner Zalman of Liadi. And it's not one of the known discourses. It's in one of the more, uh, uh, you know, uh, less studied books. Not in the, it's not in the Torah or the Lakuti Torah. And uh, it was a fascinating discourse that we learned, and it addressed this whole concept and this idea. And his grandson, I learned it, I learned it as a, as a, as a discussion on Parshas Chayasara, because it was a mimer on Parshas Chayasara. And then um, um, I, uh, I found that the Tzemach Tzedek repeats and, and, and adds commentary to his grandfather's discourse, but he uses it as an explanation on this week's Parsha, on Parshas Toldos, on the idea of, of Ace of. Having, having committed this crime of adultery with this Naira Hamuras. So, so let's, let's, let's add one more important idea. There's a Pasuk in Parshas Vayetze. I'm sorry, not Vayetze, Parshas Kiseitze in Devarim. Parshas Kiseitze. It says over there as follows that when a, a um, when a, uh, uh, talking about, you know, uh, uh, non kosher relationships, forbidden relationships, and it speaks about a man attacking a girl. So the Pasuk says like this, if a man attacks a girl and he, has, and he rapes her, so depending on where the situation is, we have, to, we have to investigate if it was a consensual relationship or it, was a, or it was against her will or it was a rape. Which one was it? So the Pasuk says like this, if it's in the city, so then we can assume that the girl went along with it because without the fact that she didn't cry out, no one heard. Obviously you have to understand that we don't just based on that criteria. Obviously we investigate. And we don't investigate just based on, we know we didn't hear, because obviously it could be that the girl was, it was, even in a city, he managed to stifle her cries or whatever, and she, she couldn't cry out. This is just the idea that the Pasuk is saying, that if it's in a city where our people could have heard and she didn't protest, then she's at fault too. And if she's a married girl, like we spoke about in this case, then both of them, man and woman, are put to death. If, however, it happened, the Pasuk says, if she was found, if he, if he lurked, if, the, if this rapist was out in the field, and the girl came into the field unknowing, 
and the man attacked her in the field, then the Pasuk says that he is put to death. The man himself should be put to death. And the woman, Naira, and to the girl, you shouldn't do anything. Why? The girl cried out, there was no one to help her. It wasn't her fault. Okay, sometimes in the Muslim countries you have a horrible thing where you know if a girl gets gets raped they actually kill the girl they stone the girl and they say it's your fault you brought shame on the family and so on the ways of the Torah are full of compassion and it doesn't have this kind of a horrific the Torah says the opposite this girl she doesn't deserve any, anything she didn't do anything wrong it wasn't her fault fine that's the Pasuk mystically the Zohar associates this Pasuk with the concept that we spoke in earlier this girl that's in the field is referring to the Shekhinah when the Shekhinah goes out from her protective zone, her spiritual zone, her godly zone, where she's still attached to her husband in the, in the, in the worlds of pure holiness. And when the Shekhinah descends down into the lower realms to start giving life to the lower worlds, over there it's possible that the man who's lurking in the field, and who's that man? Who's the man in the field? Well, it says this week in the parsha, Esav Ish Sadeh. It says, Vahi Esav Ish Sadeh, he's a man of the field. So when it says the man of the field, we're talking about that dangerous field, that corrupted field. And this girl, innocently, not unknowing, goes through that field. She's attacked by Esau, which means the Shekhinah is being attacked by Esau. And, he, and then you say, only Esau, Ishsada, he has to be put to death, which means, we're going to see soon, it means all of his Nitzutze Kedusha, all sparks of holiness that are in him. He thinks he's attacking her and he's destroying her. What's really happening, and, and temporarily, whether it's the Shekhinah or whether it's an individual Jewish neshama that's being attacked by, by being out in the field by some kind of impure force. So even though temporarily it's giving power to the forces of unholiness, it's giving satisfaction to Esav, he's gotten his way, but spiritually at the end he will die because what's really happening is he's draining all of his energy into the Shekhinah, he's losing his sparks of holiness and when he remains without those energies, uh, she will be in the end exonerated, she will be free and in the end, we're talking about something that's going to happen after when Mashiach comes, and Esau and all forces of darkness, they will collapse because they've remained levado alone, there's no energy in them from holiness, and they're gone. Okay, it's a mystical concept. I'm just showing you that the Zohar is saying that that, that girl that's out in the field, that's being attacked by an Ish Sada, is related, again, which it says over here, that Esau attacks, rapes a girl, all related to the concept as we mentioned earlier of the snake having relations with 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 um, Chava and that spiritual meaning of it. So Esav is the one who evokes this idea in its spiritual content. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Or at least let's see a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. What does this mean? And what's its powerful lesson for us today? And here is the idea: the Shechina runs the world, um, and as a king. Shechina, the name of, of the attribute that is, that is associated with the feminine attribute is the last of the ten attributes. It's called Malchus. And the rulership of Malchus in the world is Mela, is, it says, Melech b'mishpat yamoid oretz. When you think about a king, what is the main job of a king? The main job of a king and a ruler is to set rules and govern. The Mishnah says in Pirkei Yavis that we have to thank the government. We should never reject the government because if people would not have the fear of the government, people would swallow each other alive. So there has to be a government that sets rules and regulations. So that, when you, especially when you think of a king, there's a certain awe and, 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 and fear. A king could be a very loving king, you can love him very much, but the first notion is that over here, the, the approach to a king is with trepidation and fear because he's the ultimate ruler. Okay? So, Melech b'mishpat yamid 
Spiritually, it says that that power, that malchus, which is the power of God in the world, even though it is filled with two energies, chesed and gevura, in in uh, in, um, in on Rosh Hashanah davening, we say on, on, in Nisan Tokev we say the sikain bechesed kisecha. You should establish your throne with kindness. The throne of Hashem is His power of malchus is called the throne because. Malchus, or king, sits on a kisei. So the, you should establish it with chesed. But still, it says, Kabbalistic idea, that the primary construction of Sviras Malchus, which is the power that runs the world, is through the attribute of gvura, might and power and discipline. As it says, we say it in Ashrei every day, three times a day. We say, um, what's the words? We say, To notify to man Hashem's power, and the glory of Hashem's Malchus. So you see that Malchus is based on Givurosav, on the power of Givura. That Givura is, is the main energy that goes into the Malchus. Melech b'mishpat yamit aretz. The king establishes the, the land with Mishpat, with judgment. That's why the name associated with Malchus, one of the names of Hashem, associated, each attribute is attributed in another name. One of the names associated with the Shekhinah, with Malchus, is the name of Elohim. And we know that the name of Elohim is the name of Din, the name of judgment. Now, it says that there are two types of Dinim, two types of judgments. One kind of judgment is very harsh judgment, and they're called Gevurais Kashais. They're called very difficult and hard, harsh Gevurais. There's another kind of a judgment that's called um, Gevurais Memutakim, sweetened Gevura. Let's understand and appreciate what's the difference between the two. Sometimes you can be tough on someone, but it really, 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 the energy behind the toughness and the discipline is an energy of compassion and an energy of love. In general, the Zohar says that the word mishpat doesn't mean chas v'shalom, harsh. Mishpat, the Zohar says always, is iu rachame. Mishpat is rachamim. How can it be rachamim, compassion, and at the same time be mishpat? And the answer is, it's a compassionate judgment. And you have that in a parent-child relationship all the time. As parents, we have to discipline our children. And at times, disciplining a child requires you to be tough. And many ways you can even, at least in the mind of the child, cause your child a lot of pain and a lot of anguish to the point that they're miserable. But you know that it's for the benefit of the child. And you're able to overcome your natural feeling of kindness and love and, and be able to withstand temporarily the misery of the child for the greater good. The most simplest of level is that it actually discusses in that discourse is when a little child gets themselves filthy. A little two-year-old, a one-year-old is going in the mud and something gets themselves all dirty and full of chocolate chip, whatever. It's amazing how, how much chocolate there is in a chocolate chip cookie that the mother doesn't know. We, don't even, we can't even believe that a child can extract so much chocolate or, 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 or a child gets themselves full of peanut butter or whatever else. So the mother has to take the child and wash their face off. And the child hates it because they're scrubbing water on their face. The child is screaming. Everybody, every baby, every parent knows that. So you don't want to hurt your child, but you, know, you realize that your child needs to be clean and fresh. So you, what happens if the child gets sticky with something that's a little more difficult with some kind of a glue or something? So you have to already take hot water and scrape and sometimes you might even have to apply some kind of a chemical or something which really might hurt. And the child is screaming like crazy and the mother's heart goes out. But at the same time, the, the mother is acting in a very vicious manner. But that viciousness is really, anybody that really understands what's happening over here sees that the more the mother loves the child, the more the mother is going dis, to disregard the screaming of the child. If the mother doesn't love the child so much, okay, so be dirty, be filthy, or be toxic, or whatever. But he understands that, so it causes... That, that kind of a judgment is a judgment of love. 
And then, but then there's another kind of a judgment. And that's when you really, 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 really are upset. God forbid, even, even a parent-children relationship, sometimes a parent becomes so disappointed with their child that they reject the child completely. Out, I don't want to, they disown the child. Horrible thing. But, but it's possible. We've seen that happen. That kind of a judgment, I kick you out of my house, and I won't have anything to do with you ever again, that's a full, complete rejection. That's called gevurah's kashes. That's a gevurah that doesn't have any chesed in it. It doesn't have any kindness. It's just filled with wrath and anger. The way God runs the world is generally with, the, with, the, with, the, with a chesed that's compassionate. I'm sorry, with a gevurah that's compassionate. There is, however, something called gevurah's kashes. And Kabbalists say an amazing thing. We said earlier that the power of judgment of Hashem is through the sphere of Malchus, which Malchus is, 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 is Malchus is Gevura. But in that Gevura, it's through the name of Elohim. So we know in, 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 uh, in Jewish mysticism, we know that all the Hanhaga of Hashem into the world is all through various different names of God. So if you take the name of Elohim, you have the name Aleph, Lamed, Hey, Yud, Mem, but the, those names, are in, you can change and switch those letters. And when those letters are switched from the name of Elohim, you, it's not we, it, that's the way a system works, is where the letters are changed, and when the letters are changed in a different order, they form different, different uh, combinations. And those different combinations contain a different energy. Every time you rearrange them, just like when you take one word, and you play Scrabble, and you take the same words, and you play different, it all has different content based on what word you made um, from, from the very same letters. So um, the same is also uh, if Hashem's name, if the letters are rearranged, it creates as a different energy. So from the five letters of the name of, Eloh- of Elohim, it is possible to make 120 tzirufim, kufches tzirufim, 120 different permutations of that name, and each one changes the energy, tilts the energy of the name of Elohim, which in general the name of Elohim is the name of Din, but it's a different kind of judgment. So it says like this, the first 72 combinations of the name Elohim is judgment that is permeated and filled with kindness. Why 72? Because 72 is the gematria of chesed. Chesed, samach dalet is 64, plus another uh, 8 is 72. So 72, the first two, how far does Hashem's chesed extend into his gevura, into the name of Elohim, for the first 72 permutations of the name of Elohim? Then there is the last 48, what's left over to 120? 48. So the last 48 serufim of the name of Lukim is where we encounter already God's wrath and extreme judgment, and it's gematria chum. And that's what it says in, in the Pasuk, that, really, that wrath and that anger is meant only for the extreme wicked, like Pharaoh, Paro, and the Mitzrim, since they... They, they caused the worst suffering upon the Jewish people. So when time came to punish them, Hashem unleashed upon them these 48 uh, uh, powers of the name of Elohim, Tzirufim, of the name of Elohim, which is Abnaz B'nei Chum, which of course caused tremendous uh, 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 destruction in Egypt. It also, in addition to that, it says that the very forces... There are, since there are certain extreme negative forces within creation that exist, spiritual forces, demonic forces, satanic forces that exist, they derive energy and power from these 48 tzirufim of the name of Lukim, and therefore, and they use that wrath of God, like we know Bilam. One of the things that Bilam did uh, to curse the Jew, to be able to have power, to chas v'sholem, you know, execute, is he waited for the minute that, that God would get angry. So what does that mean? He was able to tap into those energy flows, to the wrath. 
which are related to those 48 terufim of the name of Lakim, and he was able to ride that wave and direct that energy. So there are forces that, that enjoy simply bringing up. Sometimes, you know, uh, we see something happens in the world that's just so horrific and so terrible. And, of course, we know that there's nothing in the world that happens just, you know, that, God forbid, Hashem got mad and he lost himself and he did something. That, that, that never happens. But it's, it's the executors, the ones that are actually doing it, are doing it with a wrath and with an anger to, to comp- of complete destruction. And they're nibbling, they're deriving their energy and that power from the last 48 uh, combinations and permutations of the name of Elohim. Now, okay, so once we have this idea, is Elohim, the 72 tzirufim of the name of Elohim, which are full of kindness, which by the way, the number 72 is interesting. The Jewish court, which represents also the Beisden down here, is a reflection of the Beisden above. Our Supreme Court is a Supreme Court of 70, plus there is the Nasi on the top of them, so there is 71. And the number 71, it leads up into the number of 72, which means that our, our court system of Judea, of, of Din, according to, 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 to uh, the Jewish system of law, is a system of chesed, rachamim diga law. It's not chas v'shalom, vicious law of wrath and punishment for the sake of punishment and destruction. Okay. Now, um, Malchus, as mentioned earlier, is female. So female represents, means makabel, means recipient. That means it doesn't have anything on its own compared to the moon a lot of times. We look up in the sky, we see the sun and the moon. What's the moon? The moon is a recipient. The sun is a mashpia. The moon is a recipient. The moon receives the energy flow from the sun. So Malchus doesn't have anything of its own. Translate that into... If we say that Malchus means God's speech, speech is just expression. It's expressing something. It has to have something to express. So what does speech usually express? An emotion, a feeling. If you have a feeling, that feeling gets flows into your speech, and that's, the speech just conveys what your emotion is. You're in a relationship with someone. Sometimes you have a, 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 a conversation full of love. That's because you're feeling, you're inside feeling, you're feeling tremendous love for your spouse. And therefore you wake up, you say something beautiful and nice. Sometimes, God forbid, a person is very upset and very angry. So then that's the emotion of Gevura. And that Gevura will flow into the speech, and the speech will be harsh words, unless hopefully they control themselves and don't say it and so whatever. So that's the, that's the, that's the idea that the Dibur Malchus receives from something higher. So if in Malchus there is these two types of judgment, means that in the mashpia, in the emotional range, in God's emotions, so to speak, in the cosmic emotions, in Hashem's emotions, um, there also has to be these two types of gevura, because Hashem, the, the emotional, the masculine uh, attributes of chesed, gevura, teferis, netzachod, yesod, these are the six emotions of God, which feed into malchus and give the energy into malchus. So generally, as we said earlier, malchus saif derives most, a lot of her main construction is from the attribute of gevura. Melech b'mishpat, the king is receiving a lot of mishpat and gevura and judgment. But in that judgment, there's two types of judgment. That means when the Abishter, when Hashem emotionally is, looks at the world and he's generally pleased with the creation and he's pleased with the way we're serving him and so on and so forth, but he feels that we can do better. He feels that we're not giving it all that we've got that, or someone or an individual can do better. So then Hashem might issue forth some kind of a judgment towards that individual and some things, the t- times and the person might encounter certain difficulties, certain things they might feel a squeeze, 
But over there, Hashem, God forbid, is not chas v'sholem intending, God forbid, to hurt the person. He just, he's, 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 he's uh, conveying a message that I, I want you to do a little better. You can do a little better performance and the like. So that's called a chesed gavura. Then chas v'sholem, there is a time when the king is so upset at one of its servants that he figures that he wants to fire that guy off. He wants to give him the pink slip. Gagangan, out. So that kind of a thing is already gavura's kashas. And when there is gavura's kashas flowing into malchus again, and that will... That will cause that the, that the malchus, which is the speech, will issue a very, very harsh decree, which later will be picked up by these, 40, these creatures that are receiving the energy from the 48 tzirufim of Neymar Lokim that are harsh and execute extreme, intense judgment, which God forbid should never be. Okay? So we see, so it's, but it's all coming from the past. So you have to say that in the mashpia there is also these two types of gavuras that I'm showing you. There is gavuras that are compassionate gavura, and then there is chas gavura that is very, very extreme. Now watch an amazing thing. This whole concept of gavura being the source of energy for creation is, 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 however, not the way Hashem wants it to be. The way Hashem really, really wants it to be is even though there needs to be accountability, and the world has to be run based on, and Hashem's brachas has to come to the world in a discriminating factor, where Hashem is rewarding those that are doing good and punishing those that are, are wicked. But still, we don't want the system to be a very, very rigid system. We want that there should be a lot of compassion. And we want that the Abraham should run the world from a place where he's in a very, very expansive place. So the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Zalman, the Adi, says an amazing thing. He says, no matter which Gevuris we're talking about, it's still the name of Elohim. It's still the constricted energy. And he calls it, interesting, he calls it Moichen Dekatnos. Moichen Dekatnos means when Hashem is operating from a place that He's being very, very judgmental and very, very, very much reacting to us based on our behavior. The reason why he says that's called Moichen Dekatnos. Moichen Dekatnos means, literally translated, means narrow-mindedness. Or in Yiddish you would say, clean kepek, being small, not big. It's because the reason why God gets upset when we're not sufficient serving Him the way we should, is because, because Hashem is so great, and He's so unbelievable, magnificent. And therefore, there is a certain um, 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 judgment that says that no matter what you do, it's not good enough. You know, there's a Pasuk that says, Even in His angels, they don't have Sahara. they're sober, Hashem finds fault. And even in the highest, it says Hashem is medaktik with tzaddikim, the tiniest thing, not good enough. I saw an amazing um, 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 uh, letter from Reb Moshe Leib of Sasev. Reb Moshe Leib of Sasev was one of the great Hasidic uh, rabbeim. Um, and uh, he writes a letter where he's, I think, um, chastising some, some community, or I think a rabbi, so I don't know what. But you see the tremendous humility. He feels so uncomfortable being you know, being, being on the administri- uh, uh, administering a rebuke. An unbelievable honor, a very, very humble person. So he writes to him, who am I to even open my mouth? Who am I to say something? When I anger God every day, that's what he says, when I anger God. He says, if not for anything else, that I make a hundred blessings every day, because you're supposed to make a hundred blessings, but I don't do it with the awe and respect and tremble that I should in front of Hashem. So I cause anger from God every day from the blessings that I do. This kind of a sense of fear and, and, and lack. It says that Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe Rabbeinu saw the Midas of Gevura, Hashem's ultimate judgment, no one could withstand it. It says in the Pasuk, Gam Shamayim, even heaven, Loizaku Be'enov is not enough refined in God's eyes. Because 
to the Hashem's true, true, true greatness. Who can, it says Rabbi Amram Goyen, when he, when he did Shuva, was because he once came to a town and the people in the town, uh, uh, someone invited him and treated him very, very nice, but he had no idea that this was the great, great, great rabbi. And he treated him beautifully. He saw he's a rabbi. And he was, but then later when, every, when the town found out who was there and they gave this guy great, great, great honor, they didn't to get a roll out the red carpet. The host came crying and begging for forgiveness. And Rabbi Amnon said, why? And he said, it's true that I took you, I was very nice to you, but had I known who you are, I would have never, ever have, have put you up the way I put you up. I would have done like, I would have. So Rabbi Amram Goen then took that as a powerful tshuva for himself. He says that's the way a person should do tshuva because when you realize every day that you had no idea yesterday who God is and when you appreciate who He is, you realize that all the effort that you put in is not good enough. So really all the judgment that comes when Hashem is judging us, most people are trying to do good. But the question is, are they doing good enough for the the schus of being a Jew and the schus of, of God giving you His mitzvahs? Are you doing good enough? So that brings judgment. So the Alter Rebbe says, but hear this, he says, that's katnus amoichen, on God's part. That's called constricted mind, small-mindedness. Because the true, 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 true greatness of Hashem, all, everybody is meaningless. All of existence is nothing. It has no value at all, meaning it's, Hashem is infinitely beyond it. The Zohar says, Kula all in front of Hashem is like nothing mamish. From that level, why should he care? Why should he get personally offended because you, you did something and you did not really appreciate that you're, you're doing this in front, of the, in front of God, when the whole service is really meaningless from Hashem's true, 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 true greatness. So I'll give a little example. There's a father, there's a person, he's a, he's a big CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And they're, and, and they're having a, um, they're having a, a they're once a year meeting of all the uh, top, uh, what are they called, the top uh, executives. And they're, and they're talking about the direction of the company and so on and so forth. Now usually his phone is his phone, his cell phone, and it's a sound, but for his own family he leaves that they, if it's an emergency they can reach him. Gets a phone call and uh, his little son calls him up and he starts complaining that his daughter, that his sister is, is bothering him and she's messing up his Legos. So the father says, Shefala, my dear, please leave me alone and uh, we'll talk about it, we'll deal with it another time, I'm busy now. And he hangs up the phone, okay? Couldn't kill us about the Legos and all that, right? Right now, there's bigger things to take care of. It's not an emergency, God forbid, and run to the hospital or something. Fine. Very same dad comes home at night and is has dinner. And then he sits down. He wants to play with his kids. Plays with his kids. He gets down on the floor and he starts playing with the little train set with his little four-year-old son. He's playing with the train set, but his little his daughter got a temper tantrum for whatever reason. She comes running into the room and she smashes what they built. They built, they built bridges. And now the father goes into a, gets so angry at his daughter. And why does he got so angry? Because she messed up his train set. And it's not just because she's misbehaving, because he really is bothered because the train set suddenly, he, the father put himself into it. Now, is a train set really, really, is this train tracks, is it really, really meaningful to a person who's the head of a CEO of such a big, yeah, depends when. Right now, he's now, he shrunk himself into the little play world of his little child. He shrunk his mind and his emotions to being miniature, to being small. And now the, this world of Legos or world of, 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 of train tracks is truly important to him and it really has influence in him. But when he puts on his necktie and he goes to back to his company and he, and he enters into that exalted, we might say, more expansive world, then it's truly meaningless to him. 
See the difference? So this is what the Alter Rebbe is saying, is when Hashem is truly Himself, as He's truly, but He's beyond this whole world. And therefore, oh, that does not mean that, doesn't mean that He's not mashpia to the world. He's mashpia to the world. But He's not so exact. He's not so judgmental. The expectations are not... He sees the bigger plan. He says, even if the world right now is not doing everything so perfect, eventually, you know, you see the bigger picture. Tomorrow they'll do better. They're trying. They're, there is improvement and so on and so forth. He says, that's Moichel de Gadlos. That level of Moichel de Gadlos, that's the name of Yud Kevavke. Yud Kevavke is Hoya 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 means past, present, and future. It's the the tetragrammaton, and God as he truly is in a transcendental place. And when he's in that transcendental place, the matters of the world don't impact him so much. And therefore, what flows from that level is generally powerful kindness and goodness. Now, what I do have to say is that we don't want there should, there, that this place where we say that God is unfazed and unmoved by what happens down here can be a very, could be a very dangerous place as well. The reason why it can be a very dangerous place is because if there is no checks and balances, if everything goes, if there, if, then the wicked can, can also receive because over here there's no discrimination. So in many places, in many classes that I've given before and in many Hasidic discourses, it is discussed that you want, you want to have this place open, but you want it to be shielded and protected to a certain degree can't leave it totally open-ended because or else it's going to be, God forbid, a flow to the forces of the unholy. So again, let's understand where the forces of darkness can receive vitality and energy from. They can receive vitality and energy from two places. From the bottom, bottom, bottom where God is the most constricted and where, for example, He's all worked up and the Shekhinah's worked up and there's wrath. When I get, so to speak, I don't want to say that, but let's say, I'm just using that and please don't Understand, take this literally we say that Hashem is like frustrated and there is an anger there is a wrath that's coming out that's when the Klippas these, these powers that love destruction grab onto that energy from that real Katnostig state and that empowers them so we don't want Hashem to be in that very very dark and, and that very we don't want Him to be very very low and close to the creation so low that He gets impacted and therefore very 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 um um um, rattle, rallied up by them. But on the other hand, you don't want a complete aloofness and complete detachment because if there's complete detachment, then the klipa can also rise to that place. That's why you say Haman made a, a thing very, very high up. You made the gallows very high. That's why the Der HaFlogo went and they made a building very high. It's all because they wanted to derive energy from that transcendental place where, where, there, is no, where there is no discrimination. So both these places are not... Are, are, are dangerous. What we really need to want to bring Hashem is kind of to a place in the middle where the creation is meaningful to Him and therefore He does care about the value and the good in the world and reject the evil in the world but not on a level where it is where, every, where, where He's looking so scrutinally on every little detail and reacting to it. We want there should be the expansiveness. And it says that through Torah and Mitzvahs we draw the Abishter's expansive uh, uh, mind is moichem de gadlos down. That's why it says in the pasuk, "Kol orchois." The mitzvahs are called orchois havaya. They're the orchois of the yudke vavke. They are the channels. These are the ways through which we draw down the yudke vavke energy. And what does it say? We say it every Friday night. We say lifnei Hashem kiva kiva lishpay ta'aretz. So you see, we're talking about mishpat, isn't mishpat always associated with the name of Elohim? No, that's the beauty of Friday night. Friday night, it's Shabbos on the world. When it comes Shabbos on the world, God rises to a higher place. 
And even though Hashem is judging the world, it's mishpat, but it's lifnei havaya kiva, because it's the yud kevavke that's coming to judge. We want the judgment to come from a more moichin de gadlos, from an expansive place, not rigid, not, 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 not tit for tat kind of a place. Lifnei Hashem kiva, that's the point, is because usually, that's why the passage says kiva, he's coming, because generally he's not the judge, he's a higher than the affairs of the world. We want that lifne havaya kiva kiva coming down two times. It's explained the Hasidus. Why two times it has to drop because he's so high that level of havaya to come down lishpay to aris to judge the world and then the world is judged with a lot of kindness and everybody's given the benefit of the doubt and there's a far more bracha and goodness and love and, 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 and wonderful thing and that's what we want. We find that the tzaddikim individually especially from the Balshem Tov and onward, we're constantly working on drawing down this Moichen Degadlas, causing Hashem to not be, not work in that, because we know that Tzadikim are the ones who set the tone. That's the way it is. True Tzadikim. Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Abarditchev once said on Rosh Hashanah, it says in the Pasuk, um, it says in the Pasuk, um, Uh, oh, again, Rosh Hashanah davening. It says, You should prepare your throne with chesed. You're going to sit on it truthfully. So what is the meaning? You should establish it with kindness and you will sit on your throne truthfully. So Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Raditcher said, said like this to God, the ultimate defender of the Jewish people. He said, If you're going to set your throne with kindness, which in the deeper meaning means you're going to be emanating from this more moichem de gadlos take a place kindness goodness then ba'emes, then you're going to sit truthfully on your throne which means you're going to be the real boss it's going to be true you're really going to be the boss because your decrees are going to be fulfilled but if chas v'shalom you're going to set your throne with gevura with simtsum with, with elokim energy not with avaya and the, as a result of that, the world is going to be judged with constant mishpat, and, 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 but, but, not, but the gevura, and, and, and in gevura itself, maybe with harsh gevura, but even not harsh gevura, but still with gevura, then you're not going to be the boss, you're not going to be saved. But why? Because we tzaddikim are going to nullify the negative decrees. Him, me and my friends, this is what he said, me and my friends. Because that's what the Eberster has given over. Now what does he mean? Right? He's, going to, he's going to bypass God. The answer is, what tzaddikim do is they, they say to Hashem, look at your children, look how beautiful they are, look, how, look what your true intentions are, look what you really want, see the bigger picture. And when we evoke that above, that's what happens. For instance, the, you see it in Rabbi Levi Yitzhak, his constant tanhaga. Whenever he saw someone do something wrong, he always showed how deeper the person really is good. It's not his true essence, it's an external thing. Moshem de Kadlos. The Balshemtov came along, Bechlal, and he introduced such a Moshem de Gadlos, such an expansive Mochen above. For example, up to the Balshemtov's times, or at least, I don't know if up to the Balshemtov's time, but at least a period of time before the Balshemtov, people were very, very, very much judged by their performance, how from you were, and primarily by how much you knew. If you were a scholar, if you were a scholar, if you knew a lot of Luna, then you were important. You were, you were a Jew, you were something of significance. If not, you were a nobody. Now, you think, okay, that's the way people looked. It's not just the way people look down here. When, when, people, when we look down here and judge people that way, it causes above that to also be seen that way, especially when it's the leaders of the Jewish people, the rabbis see, have that vision. It creates that attitude in, in all of existence. 
Because Hashem tzilch Hashem. So when we're judging and we're looking at things with a very constricted view, with a, with a smallness that causes above also smallness. Came the Balshemtiv, and the Balshemtiv reveals an unbelievable thing. The Balshemtiv says that every single Jew, every single Jew, by the mere fact that you have an Hashem, what the terms you have an Hashem, you have a Jewish mother. So you're like a one and only child to God. One and only child. Who is born to parents after they didn't have children for a very long time. And now they have a child. So imagine, God didn't have children for how long? For a gazillion, for all eternity. He finally has one child. And who's that child? That's you. You listening to the Shia right now. Whoever you are, you're the only one and only child of Hashem. Like Rabbi Ruddle, all of Hashem used to always say, if you, could, if you would open up God's wallet and go through, you would find a picture of yourself there. You're the only child. Every Jew, one and only child. And then obviously the whole attitude changes. Okay, so if a child is misbehaving, he's one and only child to an elderly couple. There's much more leeway. It doesn't mean you spoil the child, but it also means that you're, there's a certain appreciation. So the Baal taught us to look at another Jew that way. He's the one and only child of God. How can you reject this person? How can you measure based on this or based on that? Realize who this is. And realize how deep this person's neshama is. And how much they want to, even if you don't see it on the outside, how much they would love to learn, how much they would love to daven. And guess what it did? You think before the Baal of God saw every Jew as his one and only child? Yes, in essence that was true, but it wasn't revealed. Comes the Holy Baal and he uncovers that in God. He reveals that in Hashem, that Hashem too starts looking at the Jewish people from that place. And therefore he's mamshich moichin degadlos, broadness, openness. And he causes God's attitude towards the world to be full of chesed and kindness. That's why we need the tzaddikim to constantly look that way and see that way. Take a look at the Lubavitcher Rebbe, how he changed the whole approach to Jews. He removed completely this whole notion from Jews, which was such a the from and a non-from in it. The Rebbe said all Jews are Jews. We all struggle. We're all trying to do another mitzvah better. So when you get, reach out to a Jew, and you're from, you're so from, you don't speak Lashon Hara, you don't uh, uh, have negative thoughts, you're also not so from. I don't do that sin, but you have other sins that, 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 that God forbid you do. And the other guy is struggling wherever they're struggling. That's why a much better word than from is observant. We're all trying to be more observant. And every Jew, even if they're not observant yet, we try to have them observe one more mitzvah. And we bring them close. And if, they, if we can't get them to observe anything, the mere fact that they're Jewish is already a holiness and a godly presence in the world. Especially if they're able to, to, to identify that they're a Jew in a world which has so much animosity against the Jewish people. That too is so precious and so godly and so unbelievable. That's moichin the godless. It's expansive. Expansive moichin. So he says an amazing thing. I'll go back to the snake. When the dinim, when the judgment, when Hashem is acting from the name of Elohim, and projecting his energy into Malchus, Malchus being the recipient, Malchus being the Shechina, Malchus being, as we spoke earlier, Chava, the woman, and the, and the energy is coming from God being exact and rigid. So that energy flow, this amazing thing, is called the snake is having relations with Chava. And explains it why. Just, to, just bear with me with this last, this, this one important thought. It says the energy from Hakadosh Baruch Hu to the Shechina is through the attribute of Yisoid. Yisoid is bonding. Yisoid is the connection from Hashpia to Makamu. So that Hashpa that's coming, the name associated with Yisoid is Shakai Shin Dalid Yud. Name is Shakai. So he says a mystical thing, which again I didn't, which is important because I didn't figure out exactly how it works. There is a line in the discourse that I didn't understand, but, but it still says it, and it means it's the truth, I just don't know how it works out. 
He says the miloy of the yacharayim of the name of Shakai. Shakai is the general flow of Hakadosh Baruch Hu's energy into speech, into malchus, into the operating force that operates and controls the the world. Okay, that flow from the name of Shakai, the back of it. Whenever you say the back of something, means the chitzonius, the external part of it. The miloy, the hidden letters of the acharayim. I generally I know how that works. It's, it's a certain kabbalistic formula of how you how you do a gematria, which he says is gematria nachash. Or is hem oisiyos nachash is the idea of snake. That means nachash somehow is derived from Shem Shakai. Now again, the technical aspect of how that is derived, I don't know, and I sent it to an expert on this, and he answered me that he doesn't know. So I, I, I still don't know. Maybe someone listening to this year will be able to figure it out. You can tell me, and I'll be very happy. But in any case, is the, is the element of nachash. So what does that mean? It means that generally when the Ashpah is coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Shekhinah, it's filled with kindness and love and goodness and creates a very good mood in the Shekhinah and creates that her speech should be very positive and very good and bracha and Yeshua and goodness should come to the Jewish people and we're always given benefit of the doubt and things are always being down lekavzchus and everything is wonderful and the world is beautiful and there's only bracha and mazel and good things in the world. But if chas v'shalem, there is a, the Ashpah is coming from Shem Shakai, but only from the back of it, that's Nachash. Now, we're not dealing with klipa. It's not dark nachash. It's a holy snake. It's part of God. But it's God as he is the most moichen dekatnostik. A snake has a small brain. It's the most constricted energy of God where Hashem is being so small. I don't want to say God is being so petty, but that's sort of what it means. And therefore, influencing the Shekhinah's energy with such a pettiness, which causes, which translates. And this, take a look, is an amazing pasuk. The pasuk says... Derech no, the Pasuk says in, 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 in uh, Mishle, Derech and Perek Lamed, let me see where it is, the Pasuk in Mishle, it says in Perek Lamed, Derech Anesher Bashamayim, the way of an eagle in the heaven, Derech Nochash Ale Tzur, the way of a snake on a rock, Derech Aniyah Balev Yom, the way of a ship through the sea, Derech Geva Bayam, anyways, um, the, the simple meaning of the Pasuk is very interesting is the idea that there are certain things that don't leave any footsteps that don't leave any trace when an eagle through, soars through the sky it, there's, no, there's no fingerprints of the eagle when a, when a bird goes through the sky when a ship goes through the sea there is no, there's no way to trace it because the water goes back to what it was and there's no lasting sign of the path that the ship took same is also uh, the way of a, of a snake on a rock when a snake goes on the ground it leaves at least a a um, a, uh, a, uh, a, 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 a sign of where the snake went in the sand but if it goes on a rock you can't but he explains like this the Shekhinah is called Tzur Tzur Yisrael Tzur when the Shekhinah is filled with Gevura particularly she's called Tzur Tzur means hard rock that's why we say in Hazinu Hatzur Tamim Pa'olai the Tzur the rock her ways are perfect she's always she's always Tamim she's always um, complete her ways are just. I mean, even if you see judgment in the world, you always have to justify that Hashem did that Hashem did right, even though it doesn't make sense to us. But he says, is not good. That's when the snake, which means that the Ashba to the Shekhinah is coming from the snake of holiness, and it's inserting intense gvura into the Shekhinah, which means very moichen dekatnos, very, very clean kepik, very narrow-mindedness to the Shekhinah, which causes the Shekhinah to be very agitated and very, very, very um, reciprocal to all the faults in creation. 
which later causes a zayhama, an impurity in the Shekhinah, because along with the Kedusha, the snake element of Kedusha, coming into the Shekhinah, the, the Shekhinah, when she descends lower, becomes vulnerable towards negative forces, to impart real darkness into the Shekhinah's operation mode, so to speak, and therefore causes not good things in the world. By the way, from the snake having relations with Chava, that's where Chava got Nida, she became Shadar Menstruation. And the blood of the Nida also meant blood, means din, but usually the Gvura can create a child. Blood in a woman can create a child. If it's not used for that, it becomes psoles. And that blood becomes the life force of dark forces. That's why a woman is not, is considered ritually impure during her menstruation. We know when Mashiach comes, the snake's venom will go away from Chava, which will at the same time stop menstruation and Nida will, will, will be healed. That's what it says. It's all related to this. So why is this important? And why is this so? Oh, and now we're saying that when the Shekhinah Chas V'Shalem is impacted by this, and when these Moichen Dekatnos is being given into the Shekhinah, especially, again, at its original, original point, it's still holy, and it's still not bad. That's why when Moshe Rabbeinu, I'll give you an, an amazing thing that will be understood by this, when Moshe Rabbeinu, when the Jewish people were attacked by these vipers in the Midbar, by, by the snakes, what happened was, at that time, the, um, the, uh, uh, the Moshe Rabbeinu was told by Hashem to make a copper snake. And everybody will look at the snake, they will be healed. What does that mean? Why did the snakes come and hit them down there? The snakes came and bit them because there was a moment of extreme wrath of these last 48 terufim uh, and of anger, of wrath unleashed on the Jewish people. So the way you fix something is always to go back to the Shoresh. It's beginning with the Moish and the Katnas of the snake. And that's why Moshe puts up a snake that they should look at the snake and that's the Shoresh. But over there, when you're looking at that, you're alive. Because over there, as, 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 as constricted as it is, it's not death. It's still connected to Hashem, and that's where it brought healing. But as it travels further down into the creation, it becomes very, very, very negative, and very bad, and very harmful, and toxic. It becomes the venom of the snake. Esav, through his actions, is inviting and causing this katnos amochen, raping, as we spoke earlier, the Shekhinah. He attacks the Shekhinah and imbues this kind of negativity in her. And it says, ultimately it says, don't do anything to her, it's not her fault. Translate that into our life. We're all beautiful neshamas, we're all beautiful souls, we're all parts of the Shekhinah. We have to be very, very careful not to be raped by Esav and not to allow, God forbid, that we should be the ones, chas v'shalom, causing a banacha shalchav. And let me explain what that means in practical terms. What it means in practical terms is, I'll give you a little example. Last week, a week and a half ago, there was a horrible massacre in Pittsburgh. And a lot of people, and 11 beautiful Jews, who did nothing wrong other than coming to Shul to David. And they died, Al-Kiddush Hashem, because they were Jews. And obviously it hurt, it broke the heart of every sensitive Jew in the world. Everybody. Suddenly, you start hearing people, which sadly, uh, because of a, a lack of because of a, of, a, of a constricted way of, of seeing things, start saying, well, it's not a from show. It's not an orthodox show. It's a conservative show. So therefore, it's not even a show. Are they even calling it a show? Okay, it's not a show. Which might be true. It's maybe better to call it a temple than a show. 
Shul is a place that is operating according to halacha, and that's not according to halacha. But the Jews that are going there are not real, they're Jews, but then, especially after those that say, again, yesterday I saw that the story could be that the whole thing is not even true. It was all a fake thing, but good, I don't know yet. We'll, we'll still figure that out. But at the same time, there was a bris, and the bris that was happening was a bris from a, from, a, from a gay couple that adopted a child. And therefore, because it's gay, so now for sure these Jews are involved in Sodom and Amorah. It's an amazing thing. If you listen to my share last week, I opened up the share. And this was my natural feeling. I opened up the share. I said that the massacre happened on, everything's always connected to the parsha. It happened on Shabbos. Shabbos is a, Shabbos parsha is ve'era. And, sh- and during, and we know every day of the week is connected to another reading. So what happened on Shabbos, the last reading of Parshas Navaera, Vayera, the last reading, is the story of Akedah. So I'm saying, take a look, let this, that, that, that amazing, I mean amazing, painful thing, but that there is an Akedah Yitzchak, the first Jew who stretched his neck out and died, Al-Kedah Hashem. And that has become, sadly, the story of the Jewish people, that are Jews, the biggest heroes who die, Al-Kedah Hashem, the most precious Neshamas. And these beautiful eight Jews, they take the place and continue Akedah Yitzchak. Even though they didn't volunteer to die. Ramosha Weinberg says something really, really beautiful. Ramosha Weinberg from Five Towns. A little clip talking about exactly what I'm talking about right now, this idea. And he says that the, 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 the Setzner Rebbe said an amazing thing. He says that Yitzchak had the intention, the highest love and burning desire to die al Kiddush Hashem. He went up on the arcade, but he was lacking the Misa, he was lacking the action. The Piyasetzna Rebbe was writing this during the Warsaw uprising when he, was in, when he was in the ghetto of Warsaw. And he was with Jews who were not religious and Jews that were very, very far from religion. And the Piyasetzna Rebbe was saying that those people that are dying in his time, even if they don't want to die as Jews, even if it wasn't necessarily their wish, but they're completing Yitzchak's Akedah because Yitzchak had the intention without the action. And the people now are having the action even if there's no intention, but it's still their Kedosh and their holy Jews that died al-Kiddush Hashem. But sadly, there are rabbis and there are people that go and make statements and speak, God forbid, that God is angry. And, and they said like this, so I'm talking about Akedah Yitzchak, and they're pointing to the very same, they also get inspiration from the same parasha. And they say, which parasha is it? Sodom Valmora, and that's why God's anger and His wrath and He's punishing and so on and so forth. I'm not arguing, I'm sure they can find me different proofs from the Talmud and from places where it says that for this, this punishment comes, and for that, that punishment comes, and all kinds of things. But, 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 but Yidin, be careful, don't you understand? God forbid, don't we see? That's Moichen the Katnos, that's constricted Moichen. And when we cause that, we cause the Shekhinah to cry out in pain that she's being raped. She too has been given this harshness. Why cause the Ebeshter? Why cause God to have to act? Because we see it. And that's, the truth is, it's not the fault of these rabbis too. They're also sadly being... You know, this, all, this, all, this, all this harshness doesn't even come from Judaism. It comes from Christianity. It comes from Esav, Ishsadam. The murderous Esav. These ideas, when Jews live amongst the Gentiles, there's a, there's a give and take. We influence them with certain morals and ethics and beliefs and so on and so forth. And some of theirs trickle into the Jewish people. We start thinking like Christians, not like Jews. So it becomes more about, the, it stops being about a relationship with God. It becomes about... About, about being that, that, that Hashem is sitting there and waiting, you know, giving points and so on and so forth, and you go to Olam Abba and you're s- sent off to hell forever. And that kind of an attitude. And that's, that's, what's, that's not the rabbi's fault, so they too, but it's just for people that are listening, if they realize, open your minds up to Moichem the Godless. Follow the path of Tzadikim, who love Jews, 
who, and as when we, the more Jews think this way and have positive attitudes towards Jews, and not looking chitzainiistic, not learning external, seeing the beautiful Yidden that they are for who they really are. And a Shabbos born, they want to go to Shul. So he doesn't know exactly which Shul to go to. Maybe it's my fault, maybe it's your fault. Maybe we weren't reaching out enough to these people to bring him to our Shuls. So what kind of, but, but to go and arrogantly state that they deserve to die and we shouldn't say Tehillim for them and all kinds of horrible things, that's Moichim de Katnos. We have to be very, very careful. God forbid never, ever, ever to do that. So Hashem showed us something really amazing and with this I conclude. This whole darkness, this whole condemnation. Again, it's one, it's all related with the time of Golis. In the time of Golis, the Shekhin, it's all connected to the snake, to Esau. We're in Golis Edom now. When the end of days, when the Geula comes, when Mashiach comes, it's all going to end. And the the, the Eberster, so to speak, is going back into Fishur and Tamaich and the Godless. The Shekhinah will be filled with that kind of broadness and that kind of higher um, compassionate um, energy. So an amazing thing happened that, 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 that I felt was so amazing because I taught this class on, on Monday, on Thursday night, and then, and then, and then Thursday, uh, Friday, someone sends me a, a text, a WhatsApp. All Ruach HaKodesh these days come from the WhatsApps, right? <laughs> so someone sent me, Ashkach Pratis, a WhatsApp. And he asked me, does this have any, this, and he shows me a video, does this have anything to do with the redemption, with, the, with Mashiach? And what was it? It was a snake that was climbing on the Kosal HaMaravi. And it was shocking. And I just learned the night before a whole description on the idea of what does it mean, derech nachash al that the nachash is on a rock. Which rock is it talking about? The koisel is the shekhinah. The shekhinah doesn't go away from the koisel, more than that, in Kabbalah it explains that stones are malchus, are the shekhinah, it's made up of words, words are stones. And the ultimate stones, so when Shleim HaMelech is talking about derech nachash al the snake is on, so a stone was fl- was slithering its way across the women's section. Women again, feminine side, Malchus, Shechina. And when I saw that, it hurt me very deeply because I said, oh my, is this a sign that we're under those Gevuris now, Chas Shalom, that a snake is on it? But then I realized that that's not the story. I'm looking at it with dark eyes. I should look at it with bright eyes. The story is the opposite. Since we're living in Mashiach's days, the amazing thing happens. The snake has been in that wall forever. Even if it wasn't there physically, spiritually it was there. He was causing constriction in the Shekhinah, which brings the exile, which brings darkness. The amazing thing that happened was that the story is that a man in the coastal climbs up and he removes the snake off the wall. What that means in our, and that translates to us, that this darkness, this attitude, this, this, this moichem, the katnos, should be removed from all of us. We should start seeing expansiveness. We should start seeing goodness. We should start seeing tremendous love and, 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 and towards our brethren. And the Abishter too, out, no more of this darkness, no more of this judgment. And should be only, only good for the Jewish people. Chava should be healed from her, from her contamination by the snake. Sadly, not to justify anything, chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, the amount of people that died last week in a, in a horrific way, 11 killed in the United States, for those who want to argue it's only because non-religious were killed, well, there was eight Jews who were religious, and sadly, beautiful, a couple, father and mother, and, and, and six children, died in a, in a horrific accident on a road, not doing anything wrong, okay? Not, not, not gay or whatever. And they burnt, God, God forbid, they, 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 
horrible stories. He said, so he said, an intense gevura. So you had a gevura over here and a gevura over there. How many people altogether? 19. Chavez Gematria 19. And Kabbalistically it explains because it's the inside of the Yudke Vavke. The letters that are not Yudke Vavke is, is, is Gematria 26, but if you hide the hidden letters, is one of Hashem's names is 45. It's inside. It's like the Chavez rib. Chavez. Any case, let it be that on the very same week the snake was removed from the cause. Let it be that if Chava, that the Tikkun should be. I'm not justifying anything. Quite on the contrary, I'm giving a blessing that we should be finished already with the snake and finished that Chava should already be healed. It says that Sarah did a Tikkun on Chava. She went down to Paro, it was like a snake, and she came out alive. So we have to make a Tikkun on Chava. We should get rid of all Moichim Dekanus. We shouldn't see things constricted. We should see things broad. And always look with a positive eye. We don't need to judge other Jews and not to say stupid things. I'm saying again, we shouldn't say stupid things. We should see and, and, and only have a good eye towards our fellow Yidden. And by us looking that way, we cause the Eberster to look that way. And hopefully we're rid of the snake and we're rid of the Moich and the Katnas. We're living in Mashiach days. May the Eberster bench us all with tremendous miracles and tremendous light and tremendous bracha. And another element of Moich and the Katnas is that, we, 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 that sadly, there's so many Mashiach things that are happening in the world in front of our eyes. Unbelievable. But yet, Sadly, a lot of times Jews are close to it. We want to see only what we want to see instead of seeing the unbelievable miracles that Hashem has done and transforming things tremendously. And today is a big election day and so on and so forth, which is part of that transformation. I'm giving a blessing that it should work out for the benefit of the Jewish people in a truly way, even if for people that don't see it yet. But it should all be an amazing nitzachan for Kedusha and for holiness and that we should all open up our eyes to be able to have moichan de gadlos both towards each other and b'chalal towards Mashiach and towards goodness and that kind of change of mind and change of heart will bring about the ultimate blessing of the Ebishter Barchinu Avinu Kulanu Ke'echad May we merit to see it now, now, and now Never judge a brother Until, until you occupy his space Never judge another Unless you are standing in his place Never judge another brother Until you occupy his space Unless you're standing in his place